hashtag zero episodes without heroin. Oh, we are though. Zero episodes. It might be a while before we're episodes without heroin again. <laughs> yeah. It might yeah, be. It, might, it, might, it be. might be. It might be a while. It might be a minute. We've actually, for once, planned months ahead and know what we're talking about. Yeah, and we might be deep into 2020. Before, before we, we see if we see a, no, a non-heroin incident. And before we're heroin free. Man, guys, this 12-step program is rough. <laughs> it's not going well. No. Well, it's not going to get better from it, here. It really isn't. It's going to get a lot worse. Yeah, because we're talking about the two towers of the Nirvana story. And it it's kind a, of is, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. We're going helms deep into this shit. Oh my god. I mean, it'll be fine though, right? Because Sam will help Frodo with the one ring, aka Dave Grohl. No, Chris, Chris is probably Chris Samwise, is Samwise, right? 100%. Oh my god, and Dave Grohl is just Mary Ann Pippin. <laughs> yeah, kind of. That's pretty fantastic. And then Kurt Cobain's going to be the Frodo, and he's going to yeah. destroy the one ring at the end, right? That's yeah. how it's going to happen. Because he's way too serious. Yeah. yeah, he's like, and he's just got those bright blue eyes that have seen some shit, man. <laughs> so much shit. It's, not, it's too much shit. Yeah. He's, he's got to avoid the temptations brought on by Mordor, a.k.a. Courtney Love. Yup. <laughs> Courtney Love is Mordor. Her yeah. vagina is the eye of Sauron. <laughs> That's what, That's what it spreads says. her legs. <laughs> <laughs> Just this deep grumble. That's horrific. Again, if you like Courtney Love, please don't listen to these episodes. Yeah, because we're not going to do her any favors at all. Welcome to Rock Candy. You're welcome. (laughs) Where we don't do Courtney Love any favors. Exactly. We just, we can't. That can be our tagline now. Not doing Courtney Love any any favors. Or flavors. (laughs) None of them. None of them. Why do I always feel like I'm in an ice cream shop? (laughs) Because I always want to be in an ice cream shop. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I'm Maggie. And I'm Ashley. And we're not in an ice cream shop. We're recording in my closet. That is true. Yeah. Next to my clothes. It's great. <laughs> it's absorbing all the sound right now. Just yeah. like Kurt Cobain's going to absorb so much heroin in this episode. Yeah. I'm I'm actually, I'm pretty excited because they're going to be joined by another this week. What? They'll, they'll be joined by another. Another what? Wait, what? A new, a new band member. Who I'm very excited to hear about. Oh, okay, yes. Nirvana. Yes yes, 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 yes. Sorry, sorry. But before we get to that new member, let's get to our current new old member of the beer we're drinking tonight. Yeah, I didn't realize that we already drank this for our in utero episode. Yeah, I'm like Completely 99% forgot. sure we drink this for in utero, but it's fine. I, I kind of don't really care at this point. Well, right, so. and it's part two, and right. you know what? Guys, like, we're 101 episodes deep. Yeah. Which is impressive enough. We're going to repeat a beer. And we, this is possibly the first time we repeated a beer. It is definitely the first time we've repeated a beer. Yeah, so, and we've been doing this for two years, 101 episodes. Right. Let like, us have it. Just and, let us fucking have it. I mean, we're going to do, in general, four Nirvana episodes. That's so many Nirvana episodes. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot of Nirvana it's more episodes. Than Queen. Yeah. No, it's not the bonus episode that we did of the Queen movie. If you count the boner episode. I do, because I gave you facts in it. (laughs) And hot takes for days. (sighs) Those are some hot takes. Yes. So this week we are drinking from Oma Gang, once again, Nirvana. 
Of course, because, because duh. Yeah. I mean, because it makes sense. And actually, it is a very agreeable IPA. But I'm going to tell you right now, it has given us the IPA burps. Like, what? Oh, yeah. I can't stop. Yeah. I am, like, mid-sentence, and I'm like, well, I got a burp now. Bye. We don't even burp. It's just pine cones coming out of our throats. Actually, pine needles just spill out of our mouths. <laughs> actually, this is a really agreeable beer. It is. I will actually drink the second can. Yeah. Sometimes we don't drink the second can, guys. Sometimes we just can't. And Ha! Ha ha. And sometimes we pawn them off on our friends who enjoy IPAs much more than we do. Yeah. Shout out to Matt. <laughs> Thank you for being our IPA dumpster. Yeah. There yeah. There you go. I mean, disposer might... Disposal? Disposal might be better. IPA disposal? Yeah. Okay, fine. Nah, I'm calling him a dumpster. I like dumpster. <laughs> yeah. You're a dumpster man now. Yeah. So I would say if you are on the fence of IPAs or you're like... I will fucks with IPAs on occasion. This is a good I will fucks with IPAs on occasion beer. Yeah. On that note. So should we get into this fucking shit? roll up into Helm's Deep (laughs) in like a beat up old van filled with some grungy dudes in flannel. Yep. And they're like, all right, man, let's fucking go. We're going to play the angriest, saddest music you've ever fucking heard. Yeah. And that's exactly where we're starting. All right. right So we last left our antiheroes in the throes of their first major U.S. tour, which ended abruptly when they fired Jason Everman. Mm. After recording another EP for Sub Pop, the boys went back on the road to Europe with Seattle band Tad. Yes, Tad. T-A-D. Tad. (laughs) Tad. Tad. Led by the larger-than-life and too-large-for-their-tiny-fiat van, Tad Doyle. Oh, no! Tad! Tad was a big man. (laughs) Tad was a big lad. He still is a big man. Tad's a big lad. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This tour was absolutely miserable. Eleven dudes were smushed into that van for two months. Woof. Everyone was drinking too much and doing a lot of drugs, and Tad had some kind of stomach issue... That basically made him shit and vomit constantly. Stop it. Oh, no. Welcome to episode 101, where we're <laughs> shitting and vomiting, vomiting constantly. Was it just Bond spiel all week? Bond spiels all over the place. Oh, my God. He couldn't stop with the Bond spiels. It means poop play. <laughs> it totally means it poop totally play. It totally means poop play, guys. Promise. <laughs> This was when Nirvana realized that Jonathan Poneman and Bruce Pavitt from Sub Pop might be out of touch with the band's humble roots. The way Nirvana saw it, they were cramped in a shitty van, living on gas station food, making no money. A literal shitty van. Yeah. And hating life in general. And these assholes flew to Rome during their tour in first class just to check in and say hi. Oh, you can straight go fuck yourself. Yeah, basically. That same night, Kurt had a nervous breakdown and and attempted to jump off an unstable speaker stack during their show. Oh, my God. When he climbed through the rafters, then he climbed through the rafters to the balcony and threatened to throw chairs over it until someone stopped him. (gasps) Backstage, he grabbed two mics, threw them on the ground and stomped on them, announced to everyone he quit the band and burst into tears. Oh, Kurt. Oh, God. That wasn't the end of the bullshit, though. Oh, cool. Kurt... Eventually rejoined the band and agreed to finish the last two weeks of the tour. And they're still in Europe? 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, where are you going? And he was just going to fly home. And, yeah. But he stayed. Yeah. But he got his wallet, passport, and shoes stolen on a train to Switzerland Aww. while he was asleep. That's he then bullshit. got so sick that they had to cancel a show. It was beyond miserable. Yeah, this sounds fucking... Like, this is, it's like... horrible. Would make me say, you know what? I don't need to be a rock star. Yeah. This, I would walk away from it. Yeah, this is fine. I don't need this shit. This was the tour that gained Nirvana a reputation for destroying their set at the end of every show. Oh. They got so pissed off at the conditions of the tour that they took it out on their equipment, smashing guitars and basses night after night, and Kurt flinging himself like a rag doll into Chad's drum set. Half the reason Kurt started his swan diving was because Chad's perceived shitty drumming. It was, what? It was becoming obvious that Chad's and Kurt's Venn diagram of what a drummer should be did not intersect. Okay. They were on completely side, different sides of that paper. Totally. One circle was blue. One was red. There was no purple in sight. Oh, no. Finally, the tour was over in December of 1989, and soon afterwards, Chris and Shelley got married in their apartment surrounded by friends. Oh. The ceremony quickly became a raucous affair, complete yeah. with a three-way wrestling match. Yeah, that sounds about right. That yeah. sounds like a fantastic... Yo, if I get married again, that. I demand a three-way wrestling match at my but wedding. But can you imagine being their, like, downstairs neighbors? And they're like, oh, they're having a wedding. How the what the fuck what? are they doing? Somebody's gonna fall. It's gonna be like those people that made the their floor in their apartment fall through. Yeah, because there was too much dancing. Yep. Except wrestling. Yeah. The band went back on the road in early 1990, and this tour went much better. But it put a lot of things into perspective. Kurt called Tracy on her birthday. Oh no. To tell her he didn't want to live together anymore. Oh, no. Which effectively ended their relationship. Why? A few months later, Kurt started dating Toby Vale, of one of the founding members of Bikini Kill. Yes. That it, that's, this does check in the history of my memory banks. Yes. It's not the last time that they intersect at all. Oh, no. After the tour, Nirvana went into the studio to record what was supposed to become their second album for Sub Pop. In reality, it became a demo tape that they shopped around to major record labels. Good for them, though. Yeah. They could have rolled over and died, but they didn't. They're like, yo, here's an idea. Let's make music, but not give any of it to those fuckers at Sub Pop and find a better label. That's exactly what they said. Good for them. I'm not going to lie. From the last episode, you wouldn't necessarily think that they have those cunning smarts, but turns out they got them cunning smarts. In their in their few moments of clarity and sobriety, yeah, they they have some smarts. <laughs> Turns out if you're sober a little more often. Sometimes you get a little smart. Good for them. The band had gotten fed up with Sub Pop's lack of promotion, and truth be told, Sub Pop was going under. The label was rife with financial mismanagement because they were offering bands advances that were on par with major labels when they were just a small beans indie label. Oh. Yeah, you can't do that if you don't have the money to begin with. They probably were like, we'll do it. We're going to make the money back. Here it yeah, is. Yeah, they didn't. But that's not always how that but works. They, but they blew all of their money on advances for these artists. So they didn't have any money to do any promotion. So oh. you're not going to make your money back if you can't fucking promote. You're stupid. Fucking stupid. That's dumb. Yeah. Also, if these are unknown bands, they should just be happy someone's signing them. Yeah. 
Before they could find a major label to sign with, though, Kurt and Chris had to deal with the Chad problem. Ah, uh, yes. The, the Chad the problem. The Chad problem. Sorry, Chads, but y'all have the Chad problem. Capital C, capital P. Chad, Chad problem. problem. That's a good name for, like, somebody. Ooh, my name's Chad Problem, and it's like, yes, yes, sir, it is. It's like the white trash superhero. Oh, the Chad problem. <laughs> now I'm kind of endeared to it. It's huh. cute. Oh, he's cute. They were no longer happy with Chad's drumming, and Chad made the fatal mistake of trying to contribute music to the band. Oh, Ripperoni, my That is friend. a death knell for any drummer. Cardinalson. Cardinalson. And that didn't impress Kurt in the least. He described Chad's music as stupid and dorky. Oh my god. Your music's stupid and dorky and I want you to go home and I don't want to play with you again. <laughs> I don't want to play with you anymore. This is my sandbox. This is my, you get out. You get out. Take your stupid little pails that you beat the drums with with you. I don't want it. You're stupid and dorky. Kurt and Chris at least had the decency to fire Chad in person. They went all the way to Bainbridge Island outside of Seattle to do the deed. As Chad remembers it, he quit. But either way, the ways were parted. They ended things on good terms, and now Chad gets royalties from Bleach and Insecticide. Now the big task was to find a new drummer. Dan Peters from Mud Honey filled in while Kurt and Chris held auditions. Oh, nice. During this time, they recorded the song Sliver, which is one of Nirvana's more pop-oriented songs and a fan favorite to this day. Dan Peters played only one show with Nirvana at the Motorsports International and Garage in Seattle, on September 22nd, 1990, where they headlined over their idols, the Melvins. Oh, yay. It's come full circle. Yeah. Look at that. The show was total insanity as there was no stage security, so the audience would rush the stage and dive off of it as they knocked over equipment and bumped into Kurt and Chris. But in the audience of that show was a very young Dave Grohl. Yay! David Eric Grohl was born in Warren, Ohio on January 14th, 1969. Happy birthday, because his birthday will be the day before this episode comes out. Oh, happy birthday. And he was raised in Springfield, Virginia from the age of three. His dad, James Harper Grohl, was an award-winning journalist and political observer who also once served as the personal assistant to Ohio Senator Robert A. Taft. Oh, pinkies oh. up. Oh. <laughs> Dave's mother, Virginia Jean, was a school teacher and currently takes the prize for coolest rock and roll mom ever. She does, though. She's the fucking best. Didn't she write a book about her son? She did. And it is something that I want to read. <laughs> I have so not no, read it. It is on our list. But yeah, basically she was a, a pretty free-spirited gal. Oh, yeah. Dave had a pretty good childhood, and much like Kurt was quite hyperactive, though he was never given any drugs to counteract his hyperactivity. And like Kurt and Chris, he came from a broken home and had a pretty strained relationship with his dad. So it turns out dads are dicks. Kinda. You get the better jokes, but like, you're still an asshole. At least boomer dads are dicks. I don't know, Ashley. You probably shouldn't categorize people... As boomers or millennials, or the Gen Xers are going to get really fed up with us. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Dave's parents divorced when he was six, and he and his older sister, Lisa, lived with their mom. They weren't living the high life. Virginia's teacher's salary wouldn't allow for that. 
That's fair. But she loved being a single mom and she allowed her kids freedom of expression. Despite his happy home life, school was torture for Dave. As Virginia puts it, he was energetic and creative, but not academic. And schools don't cater to kids like that. Nope. Detention for skipping school was a way of life for him. He was always interested in music, though, taking guitar lessons at age 12 and probably quitting them after he realized he'd be better off learning on his own. Oh, damn. That's commitment. Yeah. He discovered punk rock at age 13 while visiting his aunt in Illinois. His cousin Tracy was, quote, totally punk. (laughs) And he soaked up anything and everything she could teach him about the genre. She took him to his first punk show that summer, and he was hooked. Back at home, he began smoking so much pot that his grades suffered, and he transferred to a private Catholic school. Whoa. He said that he, between the ages of 15 and 20, he was smoking pot four to five times a day. I don't How do you need, afford that? Yeah, you're 15. Where are you getting the money for that? Yeah, I got questions. Yeah, a lot of questions about that. What what kind of allowance were you getting? Or Dave might also be just, just that kind of guy. He strikes me as that kind of guy, even when he was a kid, that he's very charming and lovable. And people are like, well, I want Dave hanging out in the group because he's cool and he's funny and he's always going to do some wild shit. So I'll give him some weed. Yeah. So he might have just made himself a commodity. And just kind of collected it so that he could, when he wasn't hanging out with his friends, he could be at home and have just enough to smoke. He also strikes me as a true extrovert and is probably always around people who are smoking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's a Capricorn. I don't think he's a true extrovert. I think, I mean, have you seen Fresh Pots? That is an addiction that Dave has, is coffee. Yes. 100%. Oh, yeah. Look up the video, Fresh Pots, Dave Grohl. Fucking hilarious. He has never had a drug problem. He's never had a drinking problem. But this man is addicted to coffee. Yeah. To the point where he had to be hospitalized because of heart palpitations from drinking too much coffee. Yep. Fresh pots! Fresh pots! Celebrate me! (laughs) So I'm just picturing a 15-year-old Dave Grohl doing all of this shit until he smokes some pot, and then he's like, fresh pots. Fresh pots. Fresh pots, man. Anyway. Yes. You know, all this smoking pot didn't affect his playing, and he started up a couple of bands. The first was a bad punk band called Freak Baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best worst name ever. (laughs) It's such like a junior high punk band name. Hey guys, we're Freak Baby. Freak Baby. We got our first song. It's called Blood Shower. (laughs) They're just taking words and putting them together so they sound like edgy. It's called Parents Fucking Suck. (laughs) Shut up, mom. Give me my allowance so I can get pot. This next song's called Celebrate Me. <laughs> this next one is called Fresh Pots. <laughs> anyway, he kicked out the drummer after he realized he could play better drums, even though he didn't know how. Oh my God, what? Yeah. That's... Either how bad is this guy or yeah. how high is Dave Grohl? <laughs> Probably both. Bit of both. Bit of both. That started Dave's self-education in the drums. He'd practice in his bedroom using a chair for a hi-hat, a book for a snare, and his bed for tom-toms. Oh, that's work. 
How did Sonny have that work? I don't know. He, he made it work. He played along with his two favorite drummers, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin and Neil Peart from Rush. Oh. May he rock in peace. Fucking rock in peace, Neil Peart. Oh. How dare you, but that is for a different episode. Oh. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He has said that listening to Neil Peart playing on 2112 changed his life. That's legit. Yeah. I 100% see that. Dave played with lightning speed, which prompted Freak Baby to change its name to Fast. So creative. You know, I kind of liked Freak Baby better. Yeah, I, I do too. Fast eventually broke up, and he joined another hardcore punk band called Dane Bramage. <laughs> In 1985. Stop it! It takes so much concentration for me to say Dane Bramage instead of brain Brain damage. damage. Or like even drain damage. Yes! Dane Bramage. Bramage. Okay. Also kind of sounds like like a villain in a Bond movie. I'll get you yet, Dane Bramage. Dane Bramage. God damn it, Dane Bramage. (laughs) Give you a slap. Because <laughs> that's all Sean Connery can do now, right? Your mother's a whore. <laughs> Your mother's a whore, Dane Bramage. <laughs> but yeah, he started Dane Bramage in 1985, but they couldn't get any ground in the judicious DC punk scene. Oh, yeah, that's a... It's a hard nut a hard, to crack. Yeah, because it's already so saturated. And kind of elitist. Kind of. Kind of. And yeah. also, this is the 80s, right? Yeah, this was mid eighties. Mm, yeah, it's it's gonna be hard to break through at this point. Yeah, they kind of had their standard, and they're like, "Who are you, Dane Bram?" Or I'm sorry, <laughs> Dane, no, Dane Bramage? Bramage. Cute. Get the fuck out of here. Get your Bond villain asses out of here. <laughs> we got fucking bad brains and Henry <laughs> Rollins coming up here in a hot second. So bye, bitch. They definitely bye, bitch. Dane Bramage. Yeah, they bye Felicia them real hard. Ooh, real hard. Behind his bandmates' backs, Dave auditioned for the established DC punk band Scream. At first, they deemed him too young to join, but Dave, then 17, eventually convinced them to let him in. He quit Dane Bramage without even warning his bandmates. I feel like in a band named that, you get to do that. You, Yeah, you do. Yeah, you get it's to walk pu- away from that's Dane like, Bramage. That's like the most punk thing you could do in a punk band is just fucking leave and not say anything. Yeah. Once again, the Melvins had a hand in Nirvana's fate. Dave was a fan of the Melvins and solidified his friendship with them after they bunked with Scream in D.C. Nice. Kurt and Chris were impressed with Dave's drumming after catching a Scream show sometime in early 1990. But Dave was less than impressed with the other two, saying, What, that's Nirvana? That little dude and that big motherfucker? You're kidding me. Oh my god! But he's not wrong in the he's description. Not, he's not. He's a little dude in that big motherfucker. I mean, how, yeah. Kurt was pretty short, right? Like, wasn't he like 5'7 no. or 5'8? No, he was like 5'9, which is still a little bit short. So he was my height, which yeah. I always say I'm tall. Yeah. But that's short for a dude. Maggie standards, that's short. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, yeah. A, okay. Standing next to Chris. Everybody's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> that big motherfucker. That big motherfucker. Oh. <laughs> They reconnected in late 1990 when Scream broke up in the midst of a European tour that left Dave stranded in L.A. Oh, shit. Wait, a European tour? He flew back to L.A. and couldn't get anywhere else. Oh. So he was stranded. 
He called his friend Buzz Osborne, leader of the Melvins, yep. who gave Dave's number to Kurt and Chris, who were fresh from kicking Chad out. Oh. Chris was ecstatic. They already knew they wanted him to be in the band, but they played it cool and made him audition anyway. Dave officially joined Nirvana in November-ish of 1990. During practices, all three of them realized that Nirvana's lineup was finally complete. For once, Kurt didn't feel like their drummer was lacking, and respect for Dave grew inside of his cold, judgmental heart. Aww. At first, things outside of the rehearsal space were extremely awkward. Dave moved in with Kurt, who had just broken up with Toby Vale, and was sullen and depressed and barely spoke. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I can imagine when Kurt's in his moods. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently his relationship with Toby was pretty toxic and codependent in a very bad way. Oh, okay. Um, so Did Toby break up with him? I don't know. I want to say Kurt broke up with her, but I'm not entirely sure. They stayed friends afterwards, yes. but it was it was a good thing that they broke up, I guess. Yeah. From my brief uh, kind of research into Bikini Kill and the whole Riot Girl movement, yeah, I got I gathered that like Toby and Kurt did not have the best relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it was weirdly like, codependent. Like, looks good on paper, but in practice was like, oh no. Yeah, this was not good for either one of them. Right. At all. Yeah. Um, And also, both Kurt and Dave were slobs, so their apartment quickly became a garbage dump. I kind of feel like they were all slobs. Yeah. It's the grunge movement. Apparently, they also lived on corn dogs. Oof. Which, I like corn dogs, but not that much. Goodbye to that toilet. Yeah, right? Oof. And also... <laughs> In the book that I use for this, uh, Come As You Are, by Michael Azarad, Dave was quoted as saying that, like, once they got money after playing a show, like, if they had a little bit of extra money, they were so ecstatic because they didn't have to eat corn dogs. They could actually afford a hungry man dinner. Yeah, they fucking could. Yeah. Woo! They know where it's at. You get that hungry man. You get two pieces of fried mushy chicken. Oh, my God. And more sodium than your body can handle in a week. Well, that's good because they didn't have any sodium intake whatsoever. Ex no, corn dogs. corn dogs. Corn dogs are salty as fuck. Yeah, but a hungry man makes a corn dog look like a salt yeah. lick. So or basically, salt shaker next to a salt lick. Basically, all they were ingesting was salt. Yeah. That's they it. They could have just eaten salt licks. Salt and meat. Yeah. Meat. Salt. I said it like that because I used quotes, quotes, guys. Meat. To make things worse, Kurt started doing heroin on a regular basis. Woo, yeah, all right. This is great. Wait, what? <laughs> hey. <laughs> it's just like heroin walks on stage. Woo! Oh, yeah, oh, yeah! heroin back. Yeah, it's our favorite character, you guys. Best character on this show. Wins, he steals, he fucking sweeps the Emmys every year. Heroin. His story arc is so good. Always getting a Grammy. Yeah. Heroin, he got it. <laughs> For sure. He got it. He got it. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's in that club, you know? Very, very selective. Yep. Very selective. <laughs> he tried hiding it, but Chris knew all along. When Dave talked to Kurt about it, Kurt acted like he would never do it again, but that was obviously a lie. Oh. 
I can imagine, too, the type of person that Kurt is. He would feel really bad because he got caught and he knows he shouldn't be doing it. So he'd be like, I'm never going to do it again, but I'm totally going to do it oh, again. Oh, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He just was trying to hide it, so he felt put on the spot because people confronted him about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is that level of guilt, too, where you're like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm not going to stop. He said he started using it because he was so unbelievably depressed. Those months living with Dave in their cramped gray apartment was with nothing to do and no money, having just broken up with Toby, was the worst time of his life. But you have no money. How are you getting the heroin? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's why he was living on corn dogs. They do have a record out. They have yeah. gone on tour. I mean, they did make money from their shows, but it wasn't a whole lot of money. No. And they had to pay rent. So. Yeah. And doing heroin was the only thing that he said made him feel slightly alive. I mean, Kurt is definitely an introvert. So, like, he wasn't yeah. cut. Like, nobody was like, let's give him heroin because he's going to be the life of the party. Well, I mean, apparently, if you do heroin in very small amounts it does make you more social that checks and i think at this point that's what he was trying to do was it made him feel a little bit better it made him actually kind of it it made interacting with other people tolerable instead of him just curling up and going to sleep all the time right but also rock candy psa don't do heroin don't do heroin i socializing's hard i get it but don't do heroin that's not how you're gonna get through it yeah but you know what i've also heard that if you smoke a little bit of pot it makes you a little bit more social so maybe just smoke pot i don't know i don't know just don't fucking do heroin Guys, just that's don't like do heroin that's our one a- that's our one ass it's like he skipped over so many fucking steps and went straight for the worst possible thing yeah i think i yeah that or meth or just opioids in general. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do it. Don't do it. The end of 1990 was spent shopping for a new record label. Lots of labels wined and dined the band, much mm. to Chris' delight, considering his penchant for a nice Bordeaux. Oh, <laughs> he is bougie. He's a pinky up motherfucker. <laughs> he Look tries. When he's, like, coherent enough, he has a pinky up. Good for him. Yeah. They were torn between Charisma Records and Geffen, but the latter went out after repeated praises by Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. whom Geffen signed earlier that year. Nirvana signed with the label on April 30th, 1991. Their first task was to get to L.A. to start recording a new album. They holed up in a shitty apartment complex called the Oakwood for two months in the spring of 1991, where they recorded at Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, where Fleetwood Mac recorded rumors. Oh. Already littered with drugs. Littered with, like, like, they're like, yo, is there cocaine in these floorboards? The fucking wallpaper was hung with cocaine, basically. And cognac. And cognac. The band enlisted Butch Vig as their producer, a strategic choice because Vig actually produced the demo they shopped to record labels. Oh. And that demo already had many of the songs that ended up on Nevermind. This was very early in Butch Vig's career, having only produced Smashing Pumpkins' album Gish before he worked on Nevermind. Now, we know him as not only a producer of some of the biggest alternative rock albums ever made, but also as a co-founder and drummer of Garbage. 
That's right. Yes. I was like, where is that name from? Garbage. His name's Garbage. Yeah. Nirvana liked working with Butch because he didn't push them to do anything they didn't want to do. Rather, he gently guided them to try doing things he knew they wanted to do but wouldn't admit it. (laughs) For instance, double-tracking Kurt's vocals. Butch successfully convinced Kurt to do it by simply saying, well, John Lennon double-tracked. Oh my god. Come on. (laughs) Come on. But Kurt really admired John Lennon. I get it, but at the same time, like... Which also makes total fucking sense. Yeah, that checks. That checks hard. Kurt didn't like to do second takes either. Butch got creative, rolling tape during warm-ups so he could have more usable tape. So you don't want to do second takes? All right, well, I'm just going to record you warming up so I can use your shit to double track. That's smart. You might get some good shit in warm-up. You never know. Yeah. Sometimes you have a real good warm-up. You're like, yo, that felt good. Yeah. Did you get that on tape? Meanwhile, Dave drummed so hard that he broke his drums every other take. Nice. And in true Nirvana fashion, lyrics were often not even finished until right before they were about to record. Although he never copped to it, it seems like a lot of the lyrics were about Toby and what was apparently a pretty toxic relationship. Like Drain You in particular. Oh, yeah. The lyrics are one baby to another says I'm lucky to met you. And then it is now my duty to completely drain you. Mm -hmm. Like draining somebody of their very essence because of a toxic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like that negative codependency where it's like. codependent not because i feel like i need to make you happy but codependent because i feel like you need to make me happy yeah and i don't really know how to live my life without you yeah yeah that's bad that's not great all in all nevermind turned out to be a lot different than bleach it was a bit poppier and far Mm -hmm. more melodic Mm -hmm. helped by the fact that dave could harmonize superbly with kurt yes it was a reflection on kurt's mental state Despite the fact that he was on heroin, he was digging himself out of his depression and becoming a happier person. Hmm. That was because he met someone new. Mm. Someone named Courtney Love. Cool. And that's where we're going to take a commercial break because we all need a break before we get into this hot fucking mess. Yeah, we need more beer. Yeah. We need a lot more beer. You need more beer. You need more beer. Go get more beer. We'll be right back. And we're back. Yeah, and I totally fucking biffed it trying to pour my beer. Oh, yeah, that's half head. That sucks. That is half head right there. Mine's like a quarter head. I don't like a lot of head. Well, there you have it, kids. And now you know. Now you know, guys. (laughs) Now you didn't know. know, Now now you know. know. All right, let's get back on this fucking fucking Do we have to? Garbage train. It's not. I wish it was garbage. It's a whole train. Oh, it's about to get garbage. Ooh. It's going to get garbage. Ooh. Courtney Love first laid eyes on Kurt in 1989 when Nirvana opened for a band called the Dharma Bums in Portland, Oregon. Okay. They had a brief interaction where they basically stared each other down. And from then on, Courtney had a crush on him. Of course she did. Of course, because she's a terrible person. <laughs> I mean, just like at this point, guys, anything she does, it's because she's a terrible person. (laughs) Don't try to make a defense for her. We aren't going to listen. No, she's a terrible person. Yeah. You can't defend anything. No. Fast forward to December 1990. 
Dave was dating Jennifer Finch of the amazing band L7. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that he dated her. Yeah, they did. Oh, nice. Courtney was also friends with Jennifer Finch and became friends with Dave through her. Courtney told Dave she had a crush on Kurt, and Dave relayed back that Kurt was crushing on her, too. This juvenile ooh, fucking ooh. bullshit. I have a crush on Kurt. Ooh, Kurt Julie has a crush on you, too. Do you want to pass it? Do you want to give me a note to pass back to him? Do you like me? Check yes or, or no. no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God fucking A. Oh. All right. Kurt and Courtney then entered into a bizarre mating ritual. <laughs> oh, but like, yeah, that checks. Yeah. Courtney gave him a heart-shaped box full of trinkets like seashells and tiny teacups and shit. And then they went their separate ways. But huh. reunited in May 91 and engaged in a game of punch for punch, which devolved into a wrestling match. Because hmm. this is this is 100 percent some junior high, middle school, chase high you around school. the playground. Bullshit. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to fight you now. Like, oh, now we're going to wrestle. But it's yeah. really just an excuse for us to, like, basically have sex. Yeah. Through our clothes. Yeah. Let's like fighting is just about as intimate as having sex is. So, so does that mean that everyone that fights each other uh, during like Monday Night Raw and SmackDown is just fucking each other? Oh, what do you think I'm picturing the entire time we watch it? Don't objectify them, Maggie. You're just as bad. I'm just objectifying them in my head. I'm not saying it to anybody else. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine if it's in your head. Also, it's just me. Yeah. Everyone's like, let her have something, guys. But Finn Balor, though. Oh my god, but Finn Balor though. Mm. Okay. Okay. Off Get of it that. together. Get it together. Soon enough, Courtney was calling Kurt constantly and hanging out at Kurt and Dave's Oakwood apartment. You'd think they would have gotten together after that, but they didn't. Kurt <sighs> wanted to be a bachelor for a bit, and Courtney started dating Billy Corgan. Yep, I do remember that. Yeah. That was a thing. That was a great relationship, too. Oh Not- my god. But can you imagine? How fucking insufferable. How fucking insufferable the two of them together in the same room dating is. Kurt and Courtney were insufferable enough. Courtney and Billy Corgan? No. I I think they might have been more insufferable than Billy Corgan and Tilla Tequila. Yeah, and I feel like at least Tila Tequila adds some color to things. Because, you know, Nazi. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> Courtney love. <laughs> but Courtney's just, just nuts. So. Yeah. Can you imagine? It would just be like a crazy trailer, married trailer trash couple fighting Ugh. constantly. Anyway, we're we're done with Billy Corgan. Anyway. <laughs> That's for another episode that we're both reluctant to do. And that is the Billy Corgan section of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, Nevermind was finished up and Geffen put Nirvana on a European tour with Sonic Youth. It was a debaucherous time, and the band's yeah. drinking got way out of hand. Yeah. They even got Dave to start drinking. Like, they got Dave a drinking problem on this tour. <laughs> like, he didn't drink or do drugs or anything, but he got so bored just waiting around to do something, and everyone else was having such a fucking great time getting drunk and doing drugs. He was just like, I'll just drink this bottle of wine before I go on stage then. Fine. Fine. <laughs> They would destroy their dressing room after every show and be mostly drunk during interviews. 
Kurt even managed to set their tour bus's curtains on fire. Oh, my God. They even got kicked out of their own album release party. (laughs) All right. They are living the rock and roll lifestyle. Very much. Nevermind was released on September 24th, 1991, debuting on the Billboard 200 at number 144. Geffen anticipated the album would sell around 250,000 copies and were completely unprepared for how popular it would actually be. Yeah. The album's first single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, was released a couple weeks before the album, but it wasn't supposed to be the hit. The second single, Come As You Are, was supposed to be the moneymaker, but Teen Spirit was getting considerable radio airplay and the video was expanding beyond its quote-unquote rightful place on MTV's late-night rock show 120 Minutes, thanks in part to a junior programmer that threw a tantrum until they played the clip during the day. Oh my god. Yeah, so props to her, I guess? Yeah, right? She's like, this is good. People are gonna like it. And they're like, fine, we'll play it. No one's gonna like, fuck, everyone loves it. She was right. Excuse me, Matt Pinfield, you need to play this, like, outside of 120 Minutes. I don't know. I don't, th- think, I don't he... think they're going to really be appreciating that over down in the uh, TRL section. This was well before TRL. I don't remember any of this. I, I think... didn't have MTV. Didn't TRL start in 99? You're looking at me and asking me questions and I just can't answer them. <laughs> a young Carson Daly that we all like kind of had a crush on. Nope. But we were like, no. nah, he's too dad bod. That was like way before dad bods were okay. Oh, I just thought he seemed like a that douchebag. Like, yeah, like, but that kid who's like, like, I'm the, a nice kid, but he's not a nice kid. With the gelled swoop haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the point is, yes, someone got them on daytime MTV, which is like, yes. they blew, but of course that video blew up. Yeah. The video was the antithesis of everything that everything that was being played on MTV in the early 90s. As Dave once put it, the video depicted a pep rally from hell. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It was a case of being at exactly the right place at exactly the right time because Smells Like Teen Spirit spoke to the disenchanted Generation X like no other song did. And yes, the title of the song was inspired by Kathleen Hanna, lead singer of the Riot Girl band Bikini Kill, Hell yeah. whom Dave was dating at the time. Good for you, Dave. He got around. He, yeah. he like... That's a cute couple, though. Yeah. Kathleen Hanna and Dave Grohl. I mean, like, Kathleen Hanna and Mike D are also very adorable. Yeah, I'd ship both of them. No, Adam Horowitz. Wait, Mike D? Adam, she's with Adam Horowitz. Okay. I'd ship them Beastie both. Beastie Boy. <laughs> the Beastie... You know, the Beastie Boy. The Beastie Boy. boy. <laughs> One of the boys of Beastie. <laughs> I talked about it in our Beastie Boys episode. Yeah. You'd think I remember. Oh, no, I forget everything as soon as we're done talking about it. Guys, sometimes people ask me questions about our episodes, yeah. and I'm like, I don't remember. I'm, let me look at my notes. Yeah. Except I remember the Nirvana stuff just because I've known it for fucking years. Yeah. You know? But anyway. Yes. Kathleen Hanna had written Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on his bedroom wall, (laughs) referring to the women's deodorant. For those who might not know what teen spirit was. Kurt didn't know that the deodorant existed. (laughs) It was definitely marketed to teenage girls. Yeah. And he didn't know it existed. So he thought that she was saying something like super deep about like a youth rock revolution. Oh my God. So he actually wrote the lyrics about a youth rock revolution. 
adorable. That's the cutest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Apparently later when he found out that it was a deodorant and that's what she was referencing, he was deeply embarrassed and kind of pissed off about it. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, But like, come on, Kurt, laugh at yourself. It's fine. He did not laugh at himself. No, he doesn't know how to laugh at himself. He did not take embarrassment in stride at all. He never wanted to be seen as embarrassing or like do anything stupid in front of people. He didn't want people to think he was stupid. Right. And anything that was embarrassing, oh my God, he like, he took it to heart so hard. He would just go sulk. Yes. Like, and be like suicidal about it. Oh, okay. That's a little far. That's a little far. Really bad. It just, all of it would compound and it would eventually end up being like, he he would just not want to live anymore do, because of it. Do you think maybe, just maybe, maybe he just could have gone to a therapist? Maybe. That might have been better eh. than the heroin and the Courtney Love? I think it got to a point where he thought that heroin and Courtney were his therapy. No, see, guys, no. That's not how it Self-medication's not how that works. Street drugs are not therapy. No. Courtney Love is definitely Certainly not, not therapy. Oh, no. No. Anyway, by the time Nirvana began their European tour in November 1991, Nevermind shot to number 35 on the Billboard 200, and it was certified gold. The band didn't care much until it was obvious that their shows were oversold and it was almost dangerous to play their gigs. Damn. Everywhere they went, they heard Teen Spirit on the radio. Every time they turned on the TV at a hotel, it was playing the Teen Spirit video. As the album skyrocketed to the top of the Billboard charts, Kurt and Chris made a now infamous appearance on MTV's Headbangers Ball. (laughs) Kurt wore a bright yellow taffeta gown, which clearly perplexed (laughs) the host, Ricky Rackman. This clip is priceless. Go YouTube it because... It's fucking hilarious. The two of them are just like, why the fuck are we on this show? This is for metalheads. We're not a metal band. And Kurt is wearing a floor length canary yellow shiny satin gown. And he looks lovely. With a collar, like a collar that goes above his head. It is majestic. And Chris is just like, I'm just happy to be here. Oh, Chris. (laughs) It's hilarious. Go find it. I feel that, though. While the band wasn't really able to grasp how huge their popularity was becoming around the world, Kurt and Courtney's romance was booming. Blech. <laughs> They'd offic- they had officially consummated their relationship Blech. back when Nevermind was first released, much to Dave's chagrin since he had to share a hotel room with Kurt. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. The things that fucking Dave Grohl had to experience. You know what? It's his fault though. He intru- he really introduced the two of them. Dave, so. you did this. Oh my god. He did this. Maybe that's why he hated her for so long. I'm sure he came to his senses and realized she was a horribly toxic person and that's probably why he hates her. So It could be both. Yeah. They continued communicating over the phone while Nirvana was on the European leg of their Nevermind tour and in this way they fell in love. Miss you. No, I miss you. No, I miss you. No, I miss you. Can you just imagine having a conversation with Courtney Love? Probably couldn't get a word in edgewise. No. Just constant blabbing. Oh, my God. 
To a lot of people, courting was too much to handle. She was constantly and desperately trying to be the center of attention at all times. She was loud and obnoxious, but not in the same way that Christ was. Whereas Christ was a physically destructive oaf, (laughs) Courtney was mentally and emotionally destructive. Mm -hmm. It was different kinds of destruction. They were both chaotic energies, but one was like chaotic evil and the other one was chaotic neutral. Yeah. There you go. Yep. You're welcome. But this was exactly what Kurt was attracted to. He was bored with pretty much everything in his life. That's half the reason why he destroyed his guitars during shows and why he destroyed hotel rooms and green rooms. Courtney was a human tornado, stirring up shit wherever she went, and Kurt equated that to excitement. Okay. It's sure. not how you should look at it, but no, I guess. not great. Together, Kurt and Courtney made a point of doing things just to piss people off, including a lot of drugs. Courtney had already been a heroin addict with one stint in rehab when she met Kurt, so put the two of them together and only bad shit is going to happen. Hey, you know what's going to really piss everybody off if we just overdose on drugs? Yeah, that's really going to piss them off. It's not going to concern them or make them cry or make them really sad and upset. It's, it's just going like, to piss, them, gonna off. piss them off. They're going to be so mad. Everyone's going to be so mad. <laughs> Ugh, that's it's, really fucking selfish and juvenile, but okay. Yeah, and it's like the worst kind of way of looking at it. Assholes. <laughs> no, they're fucking that. assholes like, that's right an now. Asshole thing. Right to do. now, in this point in the story, they are fucking assholes. All right. Period. This is the asshole chapter. Yeah. Towards the end of ninety one. Run into the ground by constant touring and sudden fame, the members of Nirvana were starting to become unhinged. Chris' drinking was out of control, and he was drinking three bottles of wine a night. Dave suddenly became a neurotic mess, so full of anxiety that he became claustrophobic and gave himself a fear of flying. Holy shit! Kurt's stomach problems were raging, and his chronic bronchitis was acting up. He was downing bottle after bottle of cough syrup to no avail, so he resorted to shooting heroin on stops where he met up with Corny because she has connections everywhere, even though she was quote-unquote not using. Sure, sure, Believing that heroin was the only thing that cured the pain. Actually, no, at this time she still was using. Yes, I corrected myself, excuse me. She was openly still, using. Still, she has connections everywhere because she's a known fucking heroin addict. Yeah, and people know that she is a good client, pays her bills, and shows up, and hey, get me yeah. some heroin. The band- and Kurt's got money at this point. Yeah, he's getting money. He's getting money. Like, he's not, like, rich. Like, he's not loaded, but he's getting more money than he had before. He's not living on corn dogs and Hungry Man's anymore. He's actually getting paid regularly by the label. They hadn't seen like the millions come in yet, oh, but no. they were they were making a steady. They were paycheck living on at Subway least. and heroin at <laughs> this point. Subway and heroin. Yeah. Ugh. Oh my god! Two terrible tastes that will always taste terrible, I, no matter what. But I would rather have the corn dogs, honestly. Yeah, honestly, if you were to eat, like, if you were to, Maggie. You can have a vegetarian Subway sub or a vegetarian corn dog. What are you going with? It's the vegetarian dog. corn dog. Oh, 100%. Because you got that fucking cornbread around yeah. it. The cornbread makes it <laughs> too sweet. <laughs> the band decided to cancel the rest of the European tour and went home. Chris and Shelly bought a house. Oh, Chris- they're adults now. Yeah, they paid for it outright. What? Ah. Chris vowed to get sober. 
Dave started recording solo material that he'd release under the name Late with an exclamation point. He's late. I know that feeling, though. And Kurt. Oh, he was determined to get it addicted to heroin. Oh, no. That's that's like not what he should be doing right now. No, but that was his plan coming home from their European tour. That's not a great plan. No, it's not. Okay. He literally said he wanted a habit because it was the only thing preventing him from committing suicide because his stomach pain was that horrible. Somebody bring this man to a fucking doctor or like a therapist or so- what something. The fuck. You can pay your co-pays now. Like it's you can do it. You can just and pay I your bill. It. Doctors are a pain in the ass, but you know what the solution isn't? It isn't heroin yeah. or Courtney Love. Neither one of those is the answer to any medical issue. Like, I have a hard time feeling bad for him right now. Yeah. Because that's just absolute knowingly taking this chaotic path, even yes. though it's obviously the dumb one. Yes. And it's kind of petulant and yes. selfish. Yes. Yes. And he did all of it on purpose. Okay, cool. All right. He knew exactly what he was doing when he was shooting up. He knew exactly what he was doing when he was getting addicted because he wanted to be addicted. He wanted to be a junkie. Don't ask me why. He just wanted to. And he he used his medical issues as an excuse to get addicted because supposedly the doctors weren't finding anything and he couldn't, he was in so much pain and nothing was working, but he wasn't going to any fucking doctors I to was, help himself. I was going to ask, like, did he go to one doctor? He was like, I'm not really sure. You should go to the specialist. And he's like, fuck that. If you can find anything, no one's going to find anything. I'm just going to shoot up. And I mean, heroin right. is a hell of a drug. Like, it's addictive. And more than likely, he just went to, like, a fucking urgent care and the doctor was like, I don't know, because every urgent care doctor is like, I don't know. (laughs) And he was just like, well, I went to the doctor and they said they didn't know what it is, so I'm just going to self-medicate. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. Go to a real fucking doctor. They will refer you to specialists. If that specialist doesn't work, go to every fucking specialist you can find in Seattle and L.A. until they figure it out. This is really frustrating. This And this is still more logical than just going to the street corner and getting heroin. This is really frustrating. It would also probably be a whole lot fucking cheaper even if you didn't have health insurance. Yeah, because, like, heroin's expensive, guys. Yeah, and he got up to, like, a $400 a day habit. And that was in, like, the early 90s. That's like a paycheck a day for me. Seriously, it is. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to calm myself the fuck down Yeah, this is just upsetting. Get worked up when I talk about Nirvana, okay? Happens. By now, Nirvana mania was in full force, and Kurt was being touted as the spokesperson for a generation. Which I'm sure he loved. A label he very much did not want. Oh, no way. Yeah, (laughs) don't say. However, he did acknowledge that people his age had a very similar backstory to his. Therefore, it made sense that they could relate to his music. But all he gave a shit about was Courtney and heroin. After she came back from a European tour with her band Hole, the two lived together in the apartment she shared with Hole guitarist Eric Erlinson. They were promptly kicked out of the apartment, then bounced from hotel to hotel for a few weeks doing nothing but shooting up. I could be wrong, 
and and you correct me or listener correct me if I am mistaken, but isn't this very similar to kind of like uh, Sid and Nancy's story for a bit? Where towards the end, weren't they kind of just jumping from like hotel to hotel or were they just staying in one hotel? I honestly don't know. Because like no one would take them because everybody's like, you're a fucking mess and yeah. we're done with you. And I kind of get the impression that they were trying to live out this Sid and Nancy story. Yeah, like a little bit. Because I really think that at at least at this time, Courtney was really obsessed with the idea of being Nancy Spongin. Oh, yeah. She was trying really hard to look like her. Oh, you don't say. And she even tried out for... Her, yes, for, for the role of her in the movie. In the movie Sid and Nancy, which she didn't get. She got a side... Yeah, she got um, like a... Part. Like she a, was the friend. Yeah, or whatever kind of character. But she saw something tragic in Kurt and right. she wanted him to be the Sid Vicious to her Nancy Spongin. Yep. But he ended up dying first. And someone's still alive. Yep. Anyway. And arguably both of them should still be alive and neither should have gotten addicted to heroin. Honestly, I I think it was Kurt's fate to die really young. Well, it's the San Puku. <laughs> What? It's a Japanese word for, like, crazy eyes. Yeah. But, like, you have the whites either under your eyes or above your eyes. And if they're above your eyes, like Charles Manson, that means you're crazy. Uh-huh. But if they're under your eyes, it means you are you have, like, a, a tragic fate destined to you, like Kurt Cobain. So Billie Eilish has the most tragic I'm kind of worried. About, I'm kind of worried about Billie <laughs> Eilish. I am not going to lie. Like, that's why, like, I don't dislike her because I'm scared for her. You just... Let's like, just hold can out. We keep an eye on Billie Eilish, please. At, le- at least until she's past 30. the age of 27. Give her 30. And then I'm going to yeah. she's going to be fine. But like, let's keep an eye on her. And then keep an eye on Billie Eilish. Ooh. But honestly, guys, but I am kind of scared look for, out her. for her. Because <laughs> look out for her. She has the tragic eyes. Super tragic eyes. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Courtney. Yeah. And Kurt. So- Insufferable. Insufferable. Shooting up in hotels for weeks at a time. After that, at the tail end of 1991, Nirvana went on tour opening for the fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, that's a tour that I would be so torn about. I'm sorry, they were opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, Pearl Jam was also on this tour. That makes sense. And Pearl Jam was opening for Nirvana, who was opening for Red Hot Chili okay, Peppers. Okay, two out of three makes sense. Yeah. And I guess, like Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> so I'd go to this show. Yeah. And this was before Pearl Jam was, like, a thing. Yeah. They, they were just a baby. They are just little baby pearls. Yeah. Baby jams. And Nirvana stole the show, but it was obvious to Chris that Kurt had a serious heroin problem now. By everyone's reaction, I'm sorry. Now it's obvious. Yeah. Well, I mean, they weren't hanging out. They yeah, they didn't really hang out. They weren't like super best friends or anything. I mean, they were good friends, but they they had their own lives. Of course. At this point, and if they weren't touring together, recording together, they probably weren't seeing each other. Right. But everyone's reaction to it was basically, he's a grown adult. And he can do whatever he wants, and it's not my problem. Not a great idea. Not a yeah. great reaction. This was well before our woke culture. <laughs> Quotes. So if you had a problem like drug addiction, everyone else was kind of, not my problem. I'm going to be hands off. You do what you're going to do. 
you know, like they internally they can be pissed off about it because they were Dave and Chris were yeah pissed off that Kurt had this horrible addiction and like was just being really selfish about it. Yeah. Knowingly going into this addiction right first. And they would be like, yo, that's not cool. <laughs> but they didn't really do anything about it because it just you didn't do that. If somebody was going to be a junkie, they junkie going to junkie. And they're just going to do it. Yeah. All right. Yes, that's a reaction. It's a reaction. <laughs> or it's and, a lack of a reaction. Yeah. It's and a lack it, action. And honestly, it was their problem because this was when the press started to get wind of Kurt's addiction. Magazines started speculating, running articles about Kurt nodding off in the middle of interviews and photo shoots and looking like a drug-addicted shit. Because he was a drug-addicted shit! Yeah. Meanwhile, Nevermind went platinum... And to date, it has sold over 30 million copies and is certified diamond. Oh, wow. It displaced Michael Jackson's album Dangerous at number one on the Billboard charts in January 1992 and was nearly... But can we really clap at this point? (laughs) Um, I'm glad that they dismounted Michael Jackson. Oh, Oh, that's what you're clapping at? Oh, yes. that's yes, 100% yes. what I'm okay. clapping at. Oh, I'm like, oh yes. Let's take a point. clap break for that shit. Because, yes. And, like, this is probably the height of Michael Jackson touching boys. Oh, yes. So, like, this good. was wasn't good this for his, them. Wasn't this his Macaulay Culkin yeah, phase? Yeah, it was around there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm okay with this. That, I'm sorry. I was clapping at that. Oh, Please yeah. continue with oh, what you thought I was clapping clap at. at that. But anyway... Displays Michael Jackson and was nearly omnipresent in the U.S. Four more singles came out after Smells Like Teen Spirit. Excuse me. I was wrong. Three more singles came out after Smells Like Teen Spirit. Come As You Are, Lithium, and In Bloom. All great songs. Indeed. Metallica and Guns N' Roses tried courting them for a tour. They refused. More than likely, those audiences would be chock full of the exact people they railed against yeah. in the song In Bloom. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they're not going to do that. Sorry. Wait, what is In Bloom about? Um, It's basically about, like, gross frat jock guys that started showing up to their shows because they were starting to get po- more popular. And it was, it was these, like, fratty, like, bros that they really didn't like. They didn't like them at their shows. In Bloom is the one that goes, hey, we He's the one who likes all our pers- sing along. Yeah. But he don't know what it means. Yeah. I could be a grunge singer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. Because he's the one who likes all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along. But and he, he likes know. And he likes to shoot his gun, but he don't know what it means. That, all right. Yep. Get it. All right. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. They played Saturday Night Live on January 11th, 1992, and around the same time, Courtney found out she was pregnant. <laughs> Did she Google it? And she found out she was pregnant. <laughs> if you haven't seen the pregnant video, you need to Google it right now. Yeah. Stop listening to us for a hot second. Just Google pregnant. <laughs> Pregnant or am I pregnant? Am I video? pregnant? Yeah. Video. It's and you'll know fucking it's... gold. <laughs> Starch marks. <laughs> We're gonna watch that after I this. Know. She was one hundred percent using heroin during her first trimester. Rad. 
and it's trimester. <laughs> Not quadmester. <laughs> which means there are only three. There's only three. So the first out of three of these. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes. I am aware of my faux pas. Four sounded like a nice. Oh, you full, round you had me fully convinced that there were four trimesters. I gaslit you for a hot you second. Did. It was great for me. I am gullible until I'm not. They're like, wait a minute, trimester, you stupid wait whore. Wait a second. Yes. She stopped using heroin when she learned of the pregnancy. Wow, so she didn't learn of her pregnancy until her second trimester. Or like, was it just like she was using during her first trimester not the whole time she was only using during her first trimester that is when she found out she was pregnant okay okay yes yes kurt thought an abortion might be the best answer but courtney never considered it i mean francis bean seems like a fucking lovely person so i'm glad that that she's smart enough to know her mother's a piece of shit so good for her like she's like no my mom's bullshit i get it yeah 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 you know what this worked out great. Mm-hmm. This is a very big win for pro-choice. Yeah. You and have you know, the choice as big, to decide what you want to do. As big of a piece of shit I think Courtney Love is, it's still her decision. It is still 100% her decision. And she made her choice and it worked out. Mm-hmm. All right. She never considered an abortion. And instead, they consulted a doctor who told them the baby would be fine as long as Courtney's withdrawal wasn't too traumatic. Ooh. They decided to detox together. After getting clean, the band went on tour to Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and Hawaii. And Shelly went along with them. Kurt was doubled over in pain the entire time oh. because supposedly... You know, he was clean oh, and he wasn't doing heroin anymore. So, oh, his stomach pain came back. The only reason you don't feel stomach pain when you're doing heroin is because you're so high out of your mind. You don't even fucking realize it's still there. Oh, yeah. It doesn't go away. Mm-mm. It's not cured. That's how you that just works. don't feel it. Yep. Heroin is not medicine. No. It's just drugs. They tried to pass it as medicine at one point. They realized quickly it is not medicine. Yeah, no. They did the same thing with Coke. It's not medicine. It's not medicine. They did the same thing with fucking pickled snakes in a jar. Guys, it's not medicine. It's not. Crystals are medicine, though. (laughs) Just rub them all over your face. So is aromatherapy and thoughts and prayers. Also, eucalyptus oil. Essential oils. But yeah, Kerr was doubled over in pain the entire time, and Shelly assumed the pain was because he was using again, and Kurt never forgave her for the misconception. Can you blame her? You can't fucking blame her. He went to a doctor in Australia who mistakenly assumed he was still detoxing from heroin. I kind of did too, though. And prescribed him Ficeptone, the Australian equivalent of methadone. Bad move. Oh, that's not great. Kurt thought Ficeptone was some kind of stomach medicine until he called his doctor, who told him what he was really taking. By the time Corny joined the tour in Japan, he was hooked on it. He ran out when they arrived in Hawaii, so he convinced a friend to get him heroin. And he effectively was not detox anymore. (sighs) While high on heroin once again... Kurt and Courtney got married on a beach in Waikiki, Hawaii, on February 24th, 1992. 
Happy birthday to me. <laughs> oh, Kurt and Courtney no. got married. <laughs> it was my eighth birthday. And that <laughs> shouldn't have fucking happened. Their wedding, not my birthday. My birthday was probably fine. <laughs> I'm sure I went to Pizza Hut because that was pretty <laughs> much always my birthday. <laughs> I went to Pizza Hut. They went to fucking Hawaii and got oh, married. Man. So there's that. Well. <laughs> Courtney wore an antique dress once owned by Francis Farmer while Kurt wore green pajamas. Wow. Real no, I'm real like, formal wow. affair. I'm not going to lie. I'm really wowing Courtney Love right now. Yeah. She I mean, got a dress from Francis Farmer? I mean, that was once worn by Francis Farmer, yeah. Still, like, all right. It's not like she looked good in it. She looked like a fucking heroin junkie in a nice well, dress. She, she wasn't using it this time, right? Or did she have the baby? Did she have Francis at this time? Um, She was pregnant. She's still pregnant. <laughs> she was pregnant with her. <laughs> so, like, she still wasn't using, though. No. Right. So Allegedly. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, she probably still wasn't taking but great like, care of herself. Courtney had this amazing ability to look like a junkie when, even when she wasn't using. Because I just so. don't think she ever took care of herself. No, she was disgusting. Yeah, she's kind of gross. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. They basically told everyone that they didn't want them there at the wedding. They refused to let Dave and his drum tech attend because their dates were from Seattle and Courtney didn't want them to go back home and, quote, lie about things. <gasps> well, that, that's shitty. Oh, super shitty. Come on. They're friends. The Actually, big- and if it wasn't for Dave, you wouldn't even fucking been with Kurt. So exactly. go fuck yourself. Dave should have been officiating that wedding. However, I would have judged him real hard if he did. Yeah. But still. The biggest snub was aimed at Kristen Shelley. Shelley had objected to Kurt and Courtney's drug use, rightfully so. Yep. Especially while Courtney was pregnant. Oh, yep. Rightfully so. Yeah. That prompted Kurt to tell Krist that they didn't want anyone at the ceremony that didn't support them, Shelley in particular. So Kurt got married without his two bandmates, Kristen Dave, there by his side. Oh, come on. They were literally, like, a few hundred yards away in the hotel, just, like, sitting Watching, there sulking. Like, well, this is kind of bullshit. Yep. I guess we're not really friends. Yep. Also, Kurt has a problem, and we need to do something about this. Oh, oh, that, do you think- I don't think that that thought ever- like, Yeah, this like is still, what, 91, half, 92? Yeah, the first half yeah. of that thought was in their heads. The second half, no. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I'm talking in, like, today's terms of, like, if you saw shit like that nowadays, you're like, well, I guess we gotta do something now, don't we? Yep. Yep. But back even, then it was like, well, I guess we got snubbed, didn't we? Even try yeah. some, like, garbage intervention, maybe? Just, just like, something. walk in with a sign that says, intervention, and just scream it. Right in his face. Just do something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anything. I don't care what it is. Just do it. After their Pacific Rim tour was over, Chris and Dave barely heard from Kurt for five months. Wow. They knew he was hiding and doing tons of heroin, and this period of alienation would cast a pall over Nirvana's last couple years. The media would focus hard on Kurt during those years, but Chris and Dave's contributions were nothing short of critical to the band's success. Michael Azarad, in his book, Come As You Are, The Story of Nirvana, makes a really good point about every member's contributions to the band. 
It's obvious that Kurt's con- what Kurt- <laughs> It's obvious what Kurt's contributions were. Christ, however, was basically the face of the band for its entirety, and his onstage chemistry with Kurt was undeniable. He was also a great friend, supporting Kurt's musical vision no matter what. Mm. Dave may have been the least vocal of the three, but his musical contributions were key. His ability to be a steadfast drummer while beating the ever-loving shit out of his drum set is unrivaled and brought Nirvana to a whole new level. He was the rock, not just as the drummer, but personally as well. No matter how much shit they all got into, Dave was the one who kept them grounded. I understand that Kurt was focused on finding happiness in his life, but it's a shame that he put not only Courtney, but also heroin above the love and support of his bandmates. Yeah. Uh, we should have known this was going to be some bullshit. Yeah. Like, it just kills me that he was, he was determined to become a heroin addict. It's not like he just stumbled into it because he was chasing a better high. Mm-hmm. He went straight to heroin because he knew that that's what he wanted. And he knew it was going to be the, I don't want to say death sentence, but it's, that's the highest rung you can hit, right? Yeah. In most terms for most people, especially back then. And it's frustrating because I think when most people look at the Kurt Cobain story, they see the tragic, I mean, don't fucking get me wrong. It is tragic. It's sad. It's terrible. It shouldn't have happened. Right. But he ran to it. And I think a lot of people don't realize this how was... much he went. Like, he reached for this. It this was... wasn't like a story of most heroin stories when we tell. It's like, they fell into it. They wanted the bigger no, high. No, it was they a strategic choice exactly. on his part. And... I think a lot of the reason why he and Courtney were together and bonded so well was because of their mutual love of heroin. And Courtney had all the connections. Yeah. So Kurt got heroin whenever he needed it through her. And she, even when she wasn't using, she was still feeding him. Yeah. And she knew that he had enough money to support both of their habits so she mooched off of him because he was more than willing to offer her all this heroin in exchange for all of her connections so this is kind of his relationship earlier that he broke up with the the codependent one with toby vale toby vale but this time he was with a woman who was like now i'll be complicit in this yeah And I feel like he was in such a depressed state that he saw this person who was so boisterous and so loud and obnoxious and demanded so much attention that he was like, I'm going to glom onto her and ride, you know, her coattails while she was riding his coattails because he had a shit ton of money. Yeah. I mean, I still firmly don't care for Courtney Love. I do think she saw a path to more fame with Kurt Cobain. Oh, yeah. But he, I think, saw in her not a path to fame, but maybe a path to someone who will take care of him. Because his entire childhood, he was passed off from family to fam- member to family member to family member. Here he finds this chick. It's like, she's always going to get him heroin. She's always going to be there for him. She married him. She had his kid. 
Like, this yeah. is that family sense that he wanted, but he still wanted that self-destruction. And I also think she used being pregnant as a way to really rope him in. Oh, yeah, she did. Because she purposely was not on birth control mm-hmm. because of, quote unquote, a morality issue, even though she would shoot herself in the arm with a needle to get high on heroin but she wouldn't take birth control? Like, no, that's bullshit. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about heroin. Yeah. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I I just think their whole relationship was so toxically codependent. Yeah. Like, beyond anything he he had with Toby Vale, and he just didn't care, didn't want to see it, and it was the worst possible thing for both of them. But but I I I'm, I also wonder looking at it this time through if there was even a way you could have stopped it. I feel like it was yeah. a it was a path to self-destruction that both of them were just thumb on Louise and hand holding on and they just nobody could tell them otherwise. Yeah. And I've also known people exactly like Courtney. Yeah. I know exactly. And I mean, we've known people like Kurt, too, who just want to be in their misery. And people like Kurt are the kind of people that get roped into Courtney's, people like Courtney's, like, world. Yeah. And don't know how to get out. When when your actions are having negative consequences on someone else's life. Exactly. Like, if you're going to try to get attention and people either like write you off or like all right i'll give her attention or him attention i'll give them attention yeah if somebody fine but if you're doing it and you're basically destroying someone's life that's where the line gets drawn exactly and that's where the line should have been drawn and i think a lot of factors didn't stop it you know time period people were very hush hush back in the early 90s like oh well i see that they have a problem but i'm not gonna say anything it's not my place and it was also the very beginning of well not the very beginning but the beginning of this drug culture mm-hmm. where everyone started doing hard street drugs and nobody really nobody said anything to their friends who were really into it because it was such a new thing. Nobody really knew what to do. Yeah. So I can understand where Chris and Dave didn't want to say anything, but were really pissed off about it. Yeah. But they it's, should have said them said something. It is a hard thing to look at because it's such a mess. But like I'm said and like I'm thinking now, I don't know if there was a way to get out of it. Yeah. Right now, it... Back then. Drug I mean, addiction is so different than it is now. Exactly. So you basically all they had for you if you were addicted to a drug was kind of a half-assed rehab and or methadone. like a celebrity rehab yeah. and methadone. And you had to commit to weeks or months of detox and they kind of just put you in a room and let you sweat it out. And that was pretty much it. And that's not. And it's very helpful. different than it is now. You don't get therapy. Or you didn't get therapy. You didn't get like all the resources that you have now. Yeah, because so. everything you tell me, I just think if someone just brought him to a therapist. Right. I'm not saying his problems would have been fixed. I'm not saying it would have been easier, but maybe he could have. Maybe he would have lived. Maybe he wouldn't have killed himself. Or maybe it would have been more time before he did. I don't know. I kind of feel like 
he would not take very well to a therapist. Oh, no, he wouldn't. I don't think it would have helped him very much. But I think if we had the same reaction now that we... If we had the same reaction back then that we do now, maybe we could have either bought him time or stopped it. Yeah. But back then, it, I don't think it could have happened. Yeah. Huh. I'm very curious to see how this ties into the next episode, which is the last episode of the series. This is definitely the return of the king of the fucking trilogy here. Oh, good. This is where, you know, Kurt and Dave and, and, uh, and Chris, they bow to no one, right? <laughs> right? And just rush into Mordor and tackle yeah, it and it'll save be great. their friends. And everything's going to be great. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. What? That's not how this, Wait, that's not how this works at all. Spoilers! Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be great. Buckle and, up for next week. And the crazy thing is, is that we've done two episodes so far. Our next episode is going to be the last two years of Nirvana's life as a band. Yeah, they didn't have a super longevity no, life. No, if you think about it, Nevermind was released in 1991. Yep. Kurt died in 1994. Yeah. It's crazy because, yeah, you are saying when they were recording, I think it was April, and it's like, little did he know, three years later he was going to die. Yeah. It's crazy. That's fucking crazy. It's a very, very short time span, but so much happens. Yeah. And so. also, if you want to kind of prep for that, you can go back to our episode where we did the episode on In Utero, which is the album that comes out in the next episode. Yes. And we do actually discuss a lot of stuff from that. So yeah, we went balls can... deep into u- in utero in that we did. episode. So I really liked that episode. That was good. That's a yeah. You know what's saying it? My favorite Nirvana album is oh. in utero. Oh one. Oh yeah. Mm. Nope. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> Man, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you and love you and are glad that you sticking in for the story of heroin sticking it in for heroin oh, oh no. no that was don't, i realized no. what i was oh, saying when i said oh, it no i was like seeing it and i wanted to bad. stop it but i just let it happen like <gasps> you're the Kristen dave to my kurt with that last yep thing yep that's where i went with that too <laughs> You guys probably did too. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, thanks guys for listening. If you're digging what you're picking up and putting down and all that jazz, then you can go ahead and go to our website, rockcandypodcast.com. And over there, you can get more episodes of just randomness. Also, again, listen to our in utero episode to prep yourselves for next week. Mm -hmm. Be a good time. And we talk about tons of other different artists, so go ahead and jam on over there. You can also get all the links to our social medias. we got Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we have email, so hit us up if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, maybe? We'll see. And also, you can go over, if you really like us, and give us a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a ton because it gets us noticed more reviews, the more stars, the more people actually like see us and say, "Hey, yeah, look at you." We could really use some some fresh reviews, fresh pots, some fresh pots and some fresh reviews. Celebrate us, please. Get on over there and celebrate us because yes. that would be wonderful. Also, celebrate the network that we are a part of, the Pantheon yes, Podcast Network, just the MTV of music podcasts. It's 
and getting and getting new podcasts like every month it yeah. seems like they're... we're kind of hitting out like gangbusters and i'm here for it yeah we have a pretty awesome library of different music podcasts with different awesome. styles and genres so go hit it up please and helping them helps us too so yeah that would be appreciated yeah. and also what would help us if is if you scampered on over to our patreon and dropped a few bucks in our little coffers there yeah and uh <laughs> yes that kind of coffer yep right no just put it in my mouth money's <laughs> filthy don't put money in my mouth and uh dropped us a few bucks and we'll give you stuff in return all the stuff That'd be wonderful you can find that at patreon.com slash rock candy podcast it'd be great yeah podcast and also like christ from nirvana you gotta really emphasize the t on the end of that lots of t -t. <laughs> so come back next week for the finale Indeed. of our nirvana series but until then party on ashley party on maggie and party on you crazy kids out there goodbye see you goodbye see you